You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show was made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for pressing play. This is episode number three, and we've got a great show for you today. Now, I want to give you a heads up before you get into the content. There is some latency in this episode. However, there is still some great content, and I believe that you can still learn something that will benefit you. With that being said, today's topic of discussion is on the importance of diligent work and how really a diligent work ethic will benefit you. And we're going to illustrate that through the story of our guest. Today's guest is one of Ebony Magazine's seven players, 30 and under, to watch. You can find him in the September 2013 issue. He has a new CD released on the OK label, which is a division of Sony Records. The CD is called Divine Travels, and it's my pleasure to introduce to you today our featured guest, James Brandon Lewis. Thank you, James, for joining us on the show today. We really appreciate you. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, for sure. So I just wanted to tell you as far as, uh, and also remind everybody else why we're doing this show. And we kind of just talked about this right before we started recording, but I just want to remind the listeners why we're doing this show. When I graduated college, I did not know all of the possibilities that were available to me as far as a career in music. I studied music in college and got my, my skills together, and then you graduate, and it's like, okay, now what? Where do I go? You yeah, know? exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> that's one reason why I'm, I'm reaching out to you um, I, and other people. I appreciate people. that. Uh-huh. Yeah, so. Yeah. And also, I just want to have a, a medium that would motivate people, educate people, and inspire people to continue in, in their musical endeavors. Definitely. So thanks for thanks for uh, coming here today. Well, I'm glad I'm glad to be here, and uh, I can definitely relate to the feeling of school is over. Now what? Especially now nowadays, when you got, you know, when you have so many uh, institutions graduating music students. First of all, there's no cookie cutter way. There's not there's not the cookie cutter way to get, you know, my my path is, has been a journey. Let's talk about your path. Let's let's talk about it. So so everyone and everybody knows where you where you're coming from. So uh, I mean, it's been a journey. <laughs> where do you want to start? <laughs> let's start about in the beginning. Where how old were you when you started playing? Were you in the in the school program or? Okay, yeah. So uh, I started playing when I was uh, nine years old. I started on clarinet, and I went to perform in our school. I, at the, and at that time. You could rent an instrument from the school because my mom, you know, at that at that time in her life, she couldn't afford to, to give me my own instrument. But later on, she was able to afford to get me my own instrument. But I didn't have any private lessons. I just had whatever I was getting in school. And then later on, when I got about 12, I went out to Colorado. That's where my dad was living. I uh, spent a summer with him. Uh, my dad ended up buying me a dog. Either I was 11 or 12. I think I was 11 going in, going into being 12 because uh, my birthday is in the summertime. And I was spending the summer with my dad, me and my sister. And somehow we were on this road trip and there was these dogs for sale, you know, on the side of the road. 
My dad was like, okay, cool, you know, I'm going to get y'all a dog since y'all want a dog. And we were like, you know, excited or whatever. So we bring the dog and we back in Colorado. And one of my, my dad's friends, uh, we went over his house and, and uh, you know, somehow we're talking about music and talking about how I play clarinet. And the guy says, well, I have uh, an old alto sax that I'm not using. I'm sitting there and my dad is like, well, because the guy, his friend, really liked our dog. <laughs> so so my dad was like, well, I said, well, Dad, I really want the sax. And I don't even know where my sister was in the conversation. I said, Dad, I really want the saxophone. He was like, okay, well, you can't have the sax and a dog. So it was like a trade. And I don't even think my I don't even think my sister got an opinion. It was just like, I got the sax. And it was an alto sax. It was a, a Buescher 400. I got back home to Buffalo uh, the following year. That's when my mom was able to afford lessons for me. And uh, I went down this road of uh, of learning uh, music, learning jazz. And, and then, you know, where I'm from, Buffalo, we got a rich history of jazz music, of R&B, um, folk music. You know, we got Annie DeFranco, uh, Rick James, uh, Brian McKnight, his family is from Buffalo. Just a whole host of people. So I heard, so there was always music traveling in and out of, in and out of Buffalo. So then we sightway that, and as I'm at this performing arts school, which goes from fifth grade to 12, you know, I'm learning the music. And then my private lessons, you know, my mom was a smooth jazz lover. But when I started taking private lessons with this particular instructor, he wasn't feeling the smooth jazz at all. I understand. He said, no, you know, that's a... Uh, and I, you know, I don't not, you know, I don't necessarily knock it because, number one, Grover Washington Jr. is from Buffalo. Let's just let's now just that be. I did not know. Yeah, he spent thirty years in Philly, but he's from Buffalo. And I actually went to church with some of his family members at Metropolitan United Methodist Church in Buffalo, New York. So he's from Buffalo, and as a matter of fact, his teacher, Elvin Shepard, um, Elvin Shepard was. Grover Washington Jr.'s teacher. So you got this rich history in Buffalo of all of these rich people, rich, <laughs> rich people, yeah, rich in knowledge, uh, passing on uh, to diff different generations. And so for me, uh, people like, like Grover, um, I can remember as a kid going to check out uh, Gerald Albright. Uh, so I have a lot of varied influences. I mean, I just... It's not, it's not just one thing. You know, I kind of, I really honestly feel like music is one big continuum. It's all a part of one big tree. You know, it's, uh, it's, not up to, it's not up to us, those who create music and composers, to classify. That's for everybody else to do. You know, for us, we create it. You feeling it? Okay, cool. You know, that's cool. Yeah, so, I agree with that too myself. And, I, you know, it's funny because I... Just a sideway, just a moment. I always have these, you know, when you're viewing people that you really respect and admire, you know, and those, whoever your influences are, whether it's whether it's um, Sonny Rollins or Chris Dave or Joshua Redman or Charles Gale, William Parker, Gerald Cleaver, or Matthew Shipp, you only get a part of the story when you talk to them. So then your mind is always thinking, you're only getting a fraction. You don't you weren't there in their in their hour of of reflection, you know, when the phone wasn't ringing, 
when they were working on their craft, just a sight way. So my senior year, I'm done with performing arts. I had applied to eight eight different schools, got denied by a lot of schools. <laughs> Let's just put that out there. <laughs> my first choice school of music in Boston, I got accepted there, but my mom couldn't afford to send me there. So I spent a year at Buffalo State College. And that was my first humbling experience in this life. <laughs> because, about that. because here I am, this hometown, hometown kid, talented in music, winning awards. And you know, when you're a young person, I guess that means something. That means some sort of validation. Um, so I'm winning awards and I'm winning scholarships and I got scholarship money. And I'm like, wow, like I'm not gonna be able to go to the school. I can't afford it. My mom can't afford to send me there. How are we going to do this? And it wasn't like, see, these are the things people don't really talk about in the sense that I grew up in a middle class home, which was which was middle class. We weren't poor enough to get financial aid, but my mom didn't make enough money to be able to send me to school. So I spent a year at Buffalo State. And to add a little humor to this. All right. My mom is a school teacher, and now she has her job on Buffalo State's campus. They have an elementary school called Campus West. So here I am, a freshman in college, going to school every day with my mom. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is, this is something else. And so after about a year, one of my good friends that I played with a lot in, in Buffalo, his name's Brandon Felder. Brandon Felder uh, is a pianist in the D.C. area. A beast pianist. I mean, he's played it. He played for the National Prayer Service. Really amazing pianist. But anyways, we grew up together in Buffalo. And it's a slew of us. It's a whole contingency of folks from Buffalo. And we went to high school together. That's beast, you know. And so <laughs> we sit there and he comes back from Howard and he's, he's raving. He's got rave reviews. He's like, he comes back. He says, man, the campus is beautiful. The music is beautiful. The women are beautiful. You know, he's going down this whole list. And I just remember me being, I was just miserable. You know, I didn't want to be in Buffalo anymore. Nothing against my hometown, but I, I needed to grow. I needed to go out of my element and experience life. I had knew a lot of the people at Buffalo State and uh, some of the people I went to high school with. And I, for me, I wasn't able to see past that. And the only way to see past that was to get to remove myself from that in order to see myself grow uh, and, and have the ability to be able to grow. So I told my friend, I said, man, I said, uh, you think I can get into school? I'm, I'm gonna give you all of my materials right now. And this was like on his break. I went in the house. This was like maybe Thanksgiving break or something like that. I went in my house. I said, here's my tape that I made. Here's my resume. Here's my, I had copies of my transcript already. I was prepared for that moment. And then I got exactly what I was looking for. I, I went for a visit uh, that same same year. That was like maybe 2000, 2001 going into 2002. And I just loved the campus. I loved, you know, Fred Irby and uh, Charlie Young. I mean, everybody in D.C. knows who Charlie Young is. He's just known and a lot of people have worked with him. So I got exactly what I asked for. I went to that school. And I never forget my first lesson. Let me interrupt you right here. Yeah. 
Because um, I, I just got to, you piqued my interest a little bit more. Okay. All right, two things you said. You said you were prepared. You went to the house and you got your tape and you got your resume. And then, and then the second thing you said was you got what you asked for. So I want to know, when did you prepare that tape? And, and what was on your mind when you did it? Well, I prepared that tape. That tape was, see, I prepared that tape my senior year. That tape okay, was that that tape was see at performing arts we had a little recording studio. I see. I mean it wasn't wasn't no luck luxurious uh recording studio. But and I'm I'm talking about cassette tape. Yeah. When you said <laughs> uh, tape, man, I was laughing. Yeah, I mean I mean <laughs> I don't know how long ago that was. I mean, yeah, you know, like yeah. I mean like I am thirty years old. <laughs> yeah. Uh let's just put that out there. Um so I had my cassette tape. So you had that ready for you. Re, you just re prepared that for the other schools. Yeah, for the that other you schools. Were trying to get into. Yeah, before. Had it right. File. All right, I got. I had you. it in my had it in my file, and I was ready. I'm always ready and prepared for the moment. And that says a lot. I I'm think that. You know what I mean? I'm always working. I'm. I'm. I'm never. I'm never, let's just be clear about the journey up until now. It's been hard work. I think that's what the people need to hear, man. It's been hard. It's been, it's been hard work. And I, I, I'm not, and I'm still working hard. It don't, it, it never, it never stops. And what, what fuels that is number one, you first have to start getting immune to the word no. When you can get immune to it, where it doesn't bother you. Cause trust me, I applied to eight schools. Got denied by four. Wasn't able to go to my first choice and didn't want to go to another other schools. I transferred to Howard. I got it. What I meant by I got exactly what I look for is when I began to start working with Charlie Young and him telling me and nodding with me, not pushing me to be the best. No, James, you can't play. You can't play. Now, this is after private lessons. This is after going to a performing arts school. This is about, this is after... Mom, dad, grandma, sisters, best friends telling me, oh, you can play, you can play, you can play. I go to Howard University and someone is real and honest with me. You can't play. Here are the books that you need to check out. This is what you need to do before you come to the school. This is what you need to do over the summer to prepare for when you come here. How did you receive that message when he told you you can't play? How when did you I receive that? When, well, I received it. Well, number one, I, I received it because I asked him. Okay. I asked him. If you're not prepared for receiving someone's answer, don't ask them. But I asked because I was curious. I wanted to know what it is, what do I need to work on? And so that site weighed. And then the next semester, we were, we were covering the basics getting my technique together, getting my sound, doing long tones, going over scales, working out of the, uh, the 48 etudes for uh, oboe and saxophone, going over classical music, talking about Marcel Mule. I, I appreciate those things now. We're so many years removed from that. See, I have perseverance, and that's what you need because that sometimes that learning method doesn't work for everybody. You know, when someone is hard on you, you could kind of be in your shell and then that, and then and then nothing good is going to come out of that. You either going to quit. So that learning method doesn't work for everyone. But for me, 
I have the kind of stick to it, stick about myself, where it's like, oh, okay, you think I can't do this? Okay, and that well, fuels you, obviously. Let's go. Yeah, anytime, you know. And that's what that's what continues to propel me, you know. So, um, tell us, okay, so obviously Howard was a uh, a point of growth for you, right? Was and and um, what happened? I'm just going to assume that you honed your skills in college. Um, I mean, you can assume that. <laughs> would, would that be correct? Nah. Okay. That, then. I don't think that. I think it's more to the story. I think. I think okay. that with you asking me to do this interview, wanting to hear the story, the story, I didn't learn music from the institution. I know that's the truth. <laughs> I didn't learn music from the institution. If we're talking about music being like a way of life, a philosophy, I didn't learn music from. Did I learn the nuts and bolts of, of how to get to the music, how to creatively express myself? Yes. That includes etudes and scales and learning the history and having blues people be required reading for my jazz history class and learning about the greats and going over the history of the music and Charlie Parker and doing Thad Jones and Duke Ellington arrangements and big band. And yeah, that's all of that is important. It's important to know. But the music happened the day I graduated. That's when the real music started. After that, I went out to Colorado. Went out to Colorado, get to know my dad. I spent about two and a half years out there. And that was a beautiful experience, as well as working in the gospel music field. Because I, I grew up in a, in a church and I was playing in a church. So, so while I was out there, you know, uh, getting to know my dad, being in the community in Denver, I was working on my craft. I wasn't necessarily out here I mean, I had a couple of jam session experiences, but mainly just trying to, you know, when I graduated, it wasn't like opportunities was knocking at my door. You know, what am I going to do now? Well, let me go out to Colorado and see what that's about, you know, and I was honing, honing my craft and it was an interesting time period for about two and a half years. There was a lot of beautiful things happening. I was like, you know, playing, I was playing at a cancer hospital about two and a half years just playing standards. Um, and then I was playing a lot of gospel music throughout the community, and I was a part of the oldest Baptist church, Zion Baptist. Uh, but at that time, it was about 142 years. They probably about at 140, maybe 146, 47 years now. Uh, and I was really doing gospel music pretty heavy because I was like, you know, I was I was really at the point where, you know, I didn't really know my place in music. I didn't really know if I wanted to, you know, all of those standards and different things I was going over at Howard. I didn't really know if I wanted to continue to play, play like that. You know, I was at a different place. You know, um, I was growing in my, you know, just growing, you know, growing. And I was going to church and playing these hymns and getting another education. I was receiving another education. Let's just pick up the story a little bit. While I was in Colorado playing gospel, I got an opportunity. I was I was always applying for different things. And I applied to the Singers and Musicians Conference for Dorinda Clark Cole, uh, the Clark sisters. And she accepted me. So I went there and participated in a conference in Detroit. And I won it and I got to meet her and I played. And from there, I had really pondered a career and just playing gospel music, playing spirituals and different things on my saxophone. And but but also my mind was still going. My mind was still wanting to explore. 
you know, because I'm here I am playing I need thee or I want Jesus to walk with me. And I was hearing something else. You know, I was hearing, man, I want to continue to build on this motivically. But I know that in, in this environment, the congregation is following along with the melody. If you're not playing the melody, they, they think you're not playing the song. And in that, in that setting, it's, it's, you know, it's like, wait a minute, are you playing the song? Because we don't hear the melody. So I knew that. So then I applied to the University of Denver for my master's. But before that, I was in a certificate program. Because we all have these, and this is what we'll all, this is what, this is the one thing. All of us, no matter who you're talking to, have doubts, have things that they second guess in their minds and what they can and cannot do. So I applied a certificate program, not thinking that I was ready, whatever that means. And see, that's another thing. When you decide that you're not ready, I don't think that that's a fair assessment because you don't know what people are hearing. You're assuming for you. So you're telling yourself no. You're giving yourself no. Rather than, so you're, you're basically deciding the answers before you even give yourself a chance, if before you even allow other people to hear you. You've already made it up in your mind. I'm it's, almost, done. it's almost sinful when you consider that your gift, whatever your gift is, it can go beyond music. It's right. not only for yourself, but right. to be shared. Exactly. And that, yeah. that, it's funny that you say that because I am a strong proponent of we are just vessels. This is true. And the music passes through us. Yes, it does. You work to harness those abilities that are within inside of you, but then that energy and that vibration that is sounding and coming out of your instrument is just sheer energy. And we're just vessels. And then that knowledge is passing through you. So I'm at the certificate program in Denver. And I'm in class, and I'm like, wow, like, a lot of this information I've already covered at Howard University. Why am I in their certificate program? And so I dropped out. I, I dropped out, and, and I had the mental fortitude to audition again. <laughs> okay, now why did you do that? For the master's program. Okay. And I remember when I was in my audition, they said, well, why did you... Why did you drop out of the certificate program? I said, well, I dropped out of the certificate program. That wasn't for me. I knew a lot of the information already. Howard University had prepared me, uh, prepared me well. So not the master's program. And so that was an experience being at that institution. They had different combos. I got to meet a lot of different people. But then I just decided once again, DU wasn't wasn't right for me, and I wanted to continue to pursue gospel music and pursue my education elsewhere. So I stopped going there. But I but I fulfilled my commitments, and this is another thing for people to realize: you make a decision, even though I dropped out of the master's program, and maybe I'm sharing too much information. But I really feel like this is a platform to be honest about the road and the journey. Yes, it definitely is. We appreciate it. Um, but what I will say is that you still should honor your commitments. When I was when I, I was a part of the jazz ensemble at University of Denver, and when I decided to leave the school, I still played with the ensemble for the whole year. Now that's being that's being dedicated. You make a commitment to something, you handle it the right way. That meant going to rehearsals. 
That meant paying for my own gas to get to these rooms. That meant making all the concerts, even though I still was not, I was no longer a student at the university, but I honored my commitments. It's a right way to handle things in a respectful fashion. So, so then after that, I decided I was going to go to the California Institute of the Arts. Now, mind you, I applied to California Institute of the Arts while, while I was at Howard and got denied. Once again, got denied. I, I hope you're seeing a pattern here. Oh, definitely see the pattern. <laughs> and, I, and I kind of have an idea. I only have an idea. We're just meeting. Right. But I, I personally have an idea of what came later. But I'm sorry, I have to re- I have to uh, remind you, we're, we're coming near the top of the hour. So we have to be done by then. I'm sorry for that. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, no, no, that's fine, that's fine, yeah. that's fine. But basically, uh, let me fast forward, and I can I can fast forward really quickly. I applied to CalArts, and I had to start my master's degree all over again at ground zero because my credits weren't going to transfer, and I was fine with that. While I was at that school, I was exposed to another world that I didn't even know even existed. When I was at Howard, that was a part of a history that was talked about. When I was at CalArts, there was another history that was talked about, i.e. Wadada Leo Smith, Charlie Hayden, all of this. And while I was at that institution, I was able to play spirituals, play original compositions, really grow in my artistry as an individual and really view music as a continuum. I got to play with Alfonso Johnson, and on top of that, I got to play with Jola Barber and Dark Oles and Vinnie Golia and, and all of these amazing faculty members. And so what I would also encourage the young person or anybody listening is always study, always grow. Find residency programs that you can go and study with people that you always want to study with. I've been a part of Banff. I went to Banff in 2009. Um, I got to work with Joshua Redman and Dave Douglas and all these amazing people, uh, Tony Bout, Malaby, and Nicole Mitchell. You know, look for Chamber Music of America. Go out, research grants, type in residency, music residency. I've been to Banff in Alberta, Canada. I went to the Atlantic Center for the Arts. That's another great place. You go, you study your craft, you get away for three weeks. You get to be centered within yourself Hear your own voice. Hear what you bring into the table. I think a residency, whether you, whether or not you go to a traditional residency or go somewhere that's established or you self-direct residency, where you go somewhere for three weeks away from, your, away from everybody so you can hear your voice, hear mapping yourself. As an individual, what I will say is that over time, I have mapped my individualism. I've mapped the things that that have drawn me to music. You know, when I'm listening to other players of the past, whether I'm listening to Albert Eiler or Wardell Gray or uh, Booker Irving or Wayne Shorter or any of these players or Charles Gale, all of this list of players go on and on and on. The one thing that I do is I say, wow, okay, I don't know if I, tr- I don't transcribe that much anymore. I, I used to, but there's a time and place for that. But then discover how you learn. If you discover how you learn, that will put you on the right path for yourself. Discovering how you learn, not discovering how someone is telling you what you should do. Cause that works for them. That There's no guarantee. Try it. But if it doesn't work for you, 
then put it aside and learn something else. But you got to, yeah, but you got to, you got to give 110. You see what I'm going with this? So oh, I think yeah. it's important for an individual, I see where it's important for an individual to map themselves. You know, it's no different than when you're on the phone with your parents. You don't ask your parents if you can be an individual. You just are. You just have to be. You have to be. And 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 I have a huge amount of respect for history, but I also have a huge amount of respect for working really hard. I've received a gazillion no's, but the one thing people can't say no to is my work ethic. That's something that nobody can say no to you. No one can say, no one is going to stop you from working hard. They can say, they can give you that no. i I give you an example. I've applied to, I don't even go, I'm not even mentioning the amount of things I've applied to. But one thing I will say is they know who I am. Because I've applied <laughs> a gazillion times. That's good. That's good. Obviously, that's the reason for your success now. You know? Yeah, I mean, listen, listen. Divine Travels was recorded in 2011, my friend. Okay, now the audience doesn't know what Divine Travels is. So you got Divine Travels is. is my latest album uh released by Sony. Okay. It's, it includes Gerald Cleaver, William Parker, and has two selections by poet Thomas Sayers Ellis. And I recorded that in 2011. I recorded uh but it's now released in 2014. Uh, which is great. I think it's awesome. And I, I got to ask you a question about that. But first, I just wanted to put this in perspective for for the listeners. Now, first of all, it's 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 uh, okay. Is that how you say okay records? Is that how you pronounce? Oh yeah, it? okay. It's a it's a division of Sony that Louis Armstrong recorded on, Duke Ellington right? recorded on, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, Bix Beiderbecke recorded on. They they <laughs> right. closed and reopened and closed again and reopened again, and and now. James now James is on it. Now James is on the label. Craig Handy, who recorded the Cosby Show theme, Dave Holland, David Sanborn, Sonny Rollins. You're right. You're all, right. all of these people. That's a lot. That's a lot, man. That's pretty heavy, man. It's, you, it's pretty you're heavy. You try to make me feel a certain way, man. That's that's man, pretty heavy. Well, first, guys, he did the work and now he's reaping the benefits. I just wanted to uh, get that story out because he failed so many times, but it really wasn't failure. It's growing. Right. No, it's not. I mean, there, there's been plenty of moments where I could have looked at this and said, wow, like, I should just stop, man. I'm getting this. No, I'm getting this. No, I'm not going to this college. I'm not getting accepted at this program. This person doesn't like my plan. This person doesn't like my plan. But you, you got to have that mental fortitude, that perseverance. I'll never forget this story that Charlie Young told me that James Moody told him. He was asking James Moody, he said, you know, Moody has a family, different things like that. He said, how do you get it all done? He says, I wake up before my phone starts ringing. And so literally, there have been a lot of moments in my life where I've gotten up at 5 a.m. and went to bed really late. And I'm not doing, I'm not saying any of this for show, because there's a lot of people who do this. And that's the point. There's a lot of hard workers, okay? I, so I'm just one of the few. But the one thing that I discovered within myself that gives me my strength and gives me my courage is I'm going to work. I'm going to work hard. You're going to say no, and I'm going to come back the next time. I'm going to come back again and again and again. And I'm, ne I'm never going to give up. Never give up on yourself. People can give you a bunch of no's. There's going to be a lot of people that's not going to like your plan. 
a lot of people not gonna like a lot of things about you, but that can't be the defining thing. Nor can you sell, nor can you tell yourself no. Let those people give you no. Use that as the fuel. I like what Michael Jordan said in his Hall of Fame speech. He said, and a lot of people criticize him, but I can understand a certain aspect of what he was saying. The more no's he was getting, the more that fueled the fire and that drive. And he and he said, and I'm paraphrasing, and I'm not gonna say this verbatim, but he 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 was using, he he would say, I'm putting logs on the fire. Y'all, y'all giving me logs to put on the fire. So I would encourage all the young people out there to work hard and investigate, really investigate. Like I'll give you an example, real quick example for the listeners. I've been I've been going, I've been really into African American spirituals. So I've been doing my own research and digging into people like Howard Thurman, who wrote a book called Deep River. He's a theologian. Really digging into people like Marian Anderson, who used to perform spirituals at the end of her concerts. Even people like um, Dvorak, who worked with African-Americans, and he introduced, the African-Americans introducing him to spirituals and then creating this folk music sound. You know what I'm saying? Really investigate and dig in. Don't don't decide that the first answer that you get is the answer. Keep digging and keep exploring in your brain. And trust me, that does take a certain amount of courage to dig within yourself. And to be honest with yourself is difficult. Some days I wake up, I say, wow, I don't, I really don't feel like doing these long tones today. But I know that last night on the gig, my tone was not how I wanted it to be. You know? Yes, I do know. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. you got to be on, a certain, and, and diligent a certain, and diligent in your work. So. Yeah, and honest. So we have only uh, seven short minutes left. Seven short actually, minutes. All actually, right. less than that. But <laughs> um, that. I, I, I okay. got to get this out of you. Um, okay. And this, if you can, like, just tell us in bullet points, you know. But uh, how how does how did you get the Sony deal? How did you reach out to them, or did they reach out to you? Um, basically, all of my albums I raised the money for. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask that question too. Moments, mm-hmm. my first album, and Divine Travels. I raised the money and produced them. Okay, and producing, you know, the the crowdfunding places, you know, Indiegogo. Okay. Those kind of things, those kind of efforts, family, friends, and getting the word out there. My first album got got you know moments was on Revivalist OK Player. I sent that album out to everybody. I sent Divine Travels out to everybody. When I got when I recorded it, I sent it out to everyone myself. Okay. I and then with Sony, all of my everything that I've done has been direct connect i will reach out and reach out and it might be annoying to people but i'm going to reach out and reach out and reach out and reach out in a respectful way but i would send the album to this person send the album to this person i would talk to different people i would say hey you know would you like my album here's my album and getting it out there to whoever would listen and then meeting people at residencies that's another thing you're telling the truth man meeting people at residencies and getting people to know who you are and getting to hear you play, you know, where where they see that you're trying to learn, where they see you're trying to grow. Because if you weren't trying to learn and grow, you wouldn't be there. 
And so in the whole process of working with Sony, this is a relationship that that I established 2010 with Moments. You know, I was in contact with some A&Rs, different A&Rs, who, who through my own research, I mean, come on, the internet, online, use the tools that are right there in front of you. But then let me, let me say this too. I firmly believe that things are divinely ordered. So I don't really feel that my path has been contrived. Let's just, let me just say that. Were there seeds planted along the way that are now bringing fruit? Yes. Was it some calculated approach? No, because I was just sending an album out everywhere. Anybody that would listen. So I wasn't that kind of suave. And I don't have no, I, I don't have any inside connects. I don't come from a musical family. And this is not a derogatory. I'm talking about my path right now, okay? I've just been gritty with it and very prayerful with it. And I feel very fortunate. And on top of that, I'm honest. I'm an honest individual. I respect everyone. And those qualities alone can get you far. People say being nice. Yeah, I'm nice. I'm I'm not a pushover. I work hard. And the music speaks for itself. Yes, I mean, really, because that's the decide in all of this. You could get the deal. You could get all of this. But the deciding factor is the music. It still got to sound good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Ultimately, that's if, true. If these records didn't come out and the sound. Yeah. Wasn't, you know. When, when music is so subjective, I know I know it I know. is, but you can tell when someone's playing with passion, and that connects. Right, right. Whether you whether you like it or not, you can't deny right. that. Right, but you so. know where that but 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 passion that comes from life. It does. Now now we could have a whole nother talk show about life experiences. You know what? Are, <laughs> I'm gonna have to have you back, man. Yeah, please uh, do, please yeah. do, and keep in touch. And yeah. thank you for having me on the show. I hope the listeners got something out of my journey up until this point and uh and the album is called divine travels for a reason and you know um everything both good and bad has led up into this moment even me and you talking so just work 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 you said so many things that i believe in i'm going to have another podcast just about that but uh we want to thank brandon guys for sharing his time with us today and you can get Divine Travels on iTunes, I'm sure. Am I telling yeah, you? iTunes, Amazon. That's right. Yeah, and, it's there. Uh, and what's your website so people can find you? Oh, it's www.jblewis.com. All right. Thanks a lot, Brandon. All right. Thank you. All right. Take it easy. That was our interview with saxophonist James Brandon Lewis. My goodness, you can hear the passion in his voice. Sometimes things that are not said speak the loudest to us and with Brandon his passion is definitely contagious and I think the biggest lesson that he taught us is just the importance of a diligent work ethic and how far that can really take you so my question to you is what have you been procrastinating on or what have you been working on a little bit here and a little bit there but you really haven't put your all into it Go work on your dream, guys. Whatever you've been thinking about, whatever you've been working on haphazardly, don't do that anymore. Put your all into it. Put diligent work into it. 
And before you know it, the thing that you've only been dreaming about will become reality. That's really exciting. Oh my goodness, when I think about that. Well, that's all for today, guys. Thanks again for pressing play. And if you have not already, go to BehindTheNote.com, sign up for the email list. You'll get three keys to a successful music career for free. It's an MP3, and I put that together based on the talks that I've had with many of the professionals on this podcast that you'll hear from in the future. That's all for now, and I'll see you in episode four.